Sin or Suffer, Part 2. Tonight I'd like to continue that thought. And the key thing to keep in mind is that there's choices to be made and that God has given to us the freedom of choice. All of life is making decisions. We reveal our wisdom by the decisions that we make. If we make a bunch of foolish decisions, somebody's just liable to call you a fool. If you make a bunch of wise decisions, somebody's just liable to think you're wise. So you got to make it about three in a row. If you make three wise in a row, you're smart. Three dumb ones in a row, you're a fool. So you try to make a series of correct decisions. In the book of Matthew, I want you to look there in chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. This is really, I think, a blanket statement concerning the condition of the world. How God sees every individual. In Matthew chapter 11, he just talked about how that God is going to be judging some cities and the people of the world. And he makes this statement there in verse 28. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You must be convinced that serving God is easier than serving the devil. Betty's dad told me you'll either be led by the Lord or driven by the devil. I remember in the flyleaf of his Bible he had a little statement that he had written. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Pretty good statement, ain't it? Sin will keep you from the book or the book will keep you from sin. So you make a choice. You want the book or do you want sin? Do you want a righteous life or a sinful life? We know from the verses that we read this morning he said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And God expects you and I to seek to live a holy life. We cannot live a perfect life. And that's why God made provision that in the process of your living this holy life, you make mistakes, you do things wrong. We call it slips or error, anything you want to call it. But God has a provision for it. It's called 1 John 1, 9. Anybody know how to quote 1 John 1, 9? Anybody quote it? 1 John 1, 9. Every Christian needs to know that verse for the simple reason that's a verse on how to correct a problem. See, not everybody will live for the Lord to the same degree. But every Christian will have some faults in his life, make some bad decisions. So what are you going to do when you make a bad decision? Well, the first one that you need to make is to have an honesty between you and God. That means that you confess it to God, and God says that he will be just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know where it's found now. You know what it says now. But that's a verse every person needs to know. Every Christian needs to know that verse because, see, that's the verse for you to get things right with the Lord. And the reason is because everybody will do things that are not right for the Lord. 
But he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now go all the way back over there to the book of Peter, 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter. As we studied this morning about this subject of suffering, because you, after you've trusted Christ as Savior, you've got a choice. It's the same thing like telling a teenager, Johnny, take out the trash. All right, Johnny's got a choice. One, take out the trash. Two, don't take out the trash. If he takes out the trash, he's blessed, you're blessed, everybody's happy. And he inherits a blessing. But if he doesn't, he makes the wrong choice, then he has to um, suffer for his sin. So you can either suffer for doing right or suffer for doing wrong, but suffer you will. Now, on the screen up here, and I've showed you this before, all of our life, as you live upon the earth in a body of flesh, this is called the time of suffering. Glory will follow later. Christ, when he came, the Bible says that they studied the scriptures to see and discern the times when the spirit which was in them did signify the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. This is the kingdom upon the earth that is coming. We are right here, right before the rapture. Seven years later, we could be into the kingdom. That's not far away. But this is a period of glory. The king from heaven coming in all his power, all of his glory to the earth. He comes here as a lion. Here he came as a lamb. So here as a lamb, he was crucified, suffered glory. You and I are supposed to believe that for us to get through the period of time that God has given to us, wherever we find ourselves in this life upon the earth, this is where we are. Now, after us, there'll be people that'll be here. There'll be other people that'll be here. Whatever time period you find yourself in, you have a certain responsibility. And that responsibility is to God that made us and put us here and told us what to do. Now, we can follow people and do whatever people does, or we can do whatever God says. But God says you can choose. If you choose to do what I say do in this life, you will perhaps suffer wrong from other people who will not like what you say or do or the stand that you take. So there's a price to pay. But if you don't suffer by doing what's right, then God says you're going to sin because it'll be rebellion. So when people wrong us, I can either choose to do wrong to them or I can choose to suffer the wrong they did to me. God does not want you and I making things right with everybody who wrongs us. I believe if you wrong someone as a child of God, you should make it right. But you can't make somebody else make it right because they may not do that. They may not have strong faith in the Lord, so therefore they're not going to come to you, maybe apologize, look, I was wrong, I'm sorry, and all. They may never do that. What are you going to do? 
Well, you can't be responsible for what they do. You are responsible for what you do. So therefore, as a child of God, you and I have this responsibility as a Christian. Now look there in 1 Peter chapter 4. Look in chapter 4. In verse 12, now much of the scripture in 1 Peter is talking about suffering. And the word suffering is the key word in the whole book. It's mentioned about 15 times. And so God says that marriage, believe it or not, is one of the illustrations that's given here of where a Christian will be tried more than any other. Why? Because you live your life, most of it will be, you will live as a married individual. Most of us in this room have lived most of our lives as a married person, except somebody never got married. But I have been living for 63 years, but I've been only single for 18. I've been married for 45. So many people, after a while, say, you're married for a long time. So most of your trouble that you're going to have is going to be because of in marriage. That one individual that you happen to be linked up to for the rest of your life. Do you really believe that who you choose to be married to is an important decision? And yet have you seen people today who make some of the most ungodly decisions about choices of what they do? And sometimes only by the grace of God do we make it. I remember at the very beginning of our marriage, but I, I was, I was a, a loose cannon. I did not have, I had my marble, but my shooter was missing. I did not know what kind of a husband to be. I didn't know what kind of a father to be. I did, had never gone to church. I hadn't read the Bible. I didn't do a lot of things that I should do and should have known. But I wasn't taught. I didn't know. And pretty much for a while, I guess I really didn't care. I just didn't know. And so I looked for something that I didn't have. I wanted to know the will of God and didn't know what it was. I wanted peace, and I didn't know how to find it. And so I struggled in our marriage. I didn't have the answers that I was looking for. And I made a bunch of, you know, just decisions off the top of my head. Whatever I thought of, that's what I'd do. Well, that's because I didn't have the stability that I needed. I didn't know the Word of God. I didn't know what I should do, shouldn't do. But now look what he says here in verse 12. Verse 12 is a very important verse, and you ought to underline this verse in your Bible. If you don't have it underlined, I would underline this verse in your Bible. Because as you live your life, beloved, think it not strange. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Well, I think the context here is he's still talking to the married couple. <laughs> Chapter 3, it's what it's talking about. And I would believe that most of the problems that people have in this world is because of marriage. And, and because of the conflict that's there. And uh, a man being found faithful, the woman being found faithful, a man being a godly man, then they're having children, and... And, and then the decisions you've got to make. There's a multitude. But remember this. With a man and a wife, they're there before the kids. Kids will come. Kids will stay. And kids will go. But after the kids come and the kids have stayed and the kids have gone, you still stay. And the thing, even in a, a church, people come and 
People stay for a while and people go. It's just the facts of life. But the key thing is, as an individual, you just keep staying strong and keep doing what's right. But he says this in verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try it. Now note, he didn't just say it's a trial. It's a fiery trial. And there's a lot of fire in this trial that really can burn you. I told Betty the sermon that I preached last week on a Sunday night was the burning apostle. Remember I told you about the title? A burning apostle. And it's not mean that he's on fire for the Lord. It means that he says, you, you, you get mad, you get offended, and I burn not. You don't think it, I get offended too? So you might get offended by a lot of things. So do I. Do you think as a husband you're the only one that gets offended? Or do you ever think your wife might get offended too? Do you think that children ever get offended? And if everybody can be offended, everybody can be hurt. If everybody can be offended, everybody can be hurt, and everybody gets hurt, everybody can be bitter. And everybody gets bitter, everybody can sin and get what they say or do something they should not have done out of a fit of anger. So the key is, as you mature, can we get to where we, we can think before we just react so that we can respond correctly the way God wants us to. So we will suffer many things. Now let, get what he says here in verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. And get this next statement. For when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. When are you supposed to expect this great exceeding joy? If you read the verse, what does it say? Even though you may have a fiery trial now, here we are. We're going through fiery trials in our life. There's a lot of temptation out there to do wrong. But we go ahead and we do what's right regardless. All right? God says that we are going to, when he comes in his glory, there's something that's going to happen for us. Then he says there in verse 13, Ye may be glad also with exceeding what? Joy. When? When his glory shall be revealed. That's not here. That's, that's here. So if you can get the sequence down, like I mentioned this morning, there is a timing in this thing. You see, Christ suffered, then glory. Humiliated. Humiliated. Look what the people did to him. But now glory. That example is what you and I are supposed to while we're here in this world. As an individual, people may try to humiliate you. Not just humble you. Humiliate you. You just go ahead and take it. Believing that the righteous judge one day will reward you. And then you will have the exceeding joy. You'll be glad. Can you commit your life to the Lord? If you commit your life to the Lord, then you can commit everything that happens in this world to you, to the Lord. The more you commit into the hands of God, the more you will begin to see the hand of God in every area of your life. But see, if you don't commit your life to the Lord, then you won't see the Lord moving in your life and doing anything for you because many times 
We will do what others have done. We take matters into our own hands, and by doing so, we hinder the Lord from working because we want to handle it ourselves. We want to get revenge. We want to get even. We want to make somebody pay. You wrong me, I'll get you, bud. This is what's causing the problem. Like I mentioned this morning, all this that you see on the news about the riots up there in Ohio, I think that's where it was, and then you saw it down here in New Orleans, you saw it over there in the earthquake in Pakistan, all the looting, and there's people that will just kill for no reason, tear down buildings, break into stores, threaten with clubs, and yet individually, sometimes those individuals, they would never do that. But you let them get into a mob situation. Have you ever watched the old-time cowboy movies? And next thing you know, one guy can stand out there and get the whole crowd worked up, and we're going to get that guy out of jail, and we're going to hang him. They don't want to wait for the law. We're going to hang that guy. And sometimes they get the wrong guy, and they hang the wrong guy, you know. And there's always got to be the hero that comes in there and saves the day. Well, this is what people do. They're not trusting the law to work. But anyway, the way people are, they will have a mob mentality. And people will be like a herd. And it causes them to stampede. Then they do what everybody else is doing. They don't even have to have a leader. It's just that somebody else is behind destroying. That's what Satan does. Satan loves that. Satan can take the old sinful nature of a man and you'd be surprised what he can make him do. And sometimes totally deceived. Some people don't realize the power of sin and the consequences. So it is better to suffer the wrong than it is to go ahead and try to make it right yourself. Let God take care of things. Now, I've mentioned before my stand on do I think that I have a right to have a gun or somebody breaks into my house and I both open the door and say, well, come right on in. No, if possible, I'll blow them away in Christian love. So I, there's certain things you've got to have a balance. And I believe there are certain responsibilities we have committed to the government. But there are some things that government has not committed to us. You cannot sue the police department if somebody breaks in your house and kills you, though they're supposed to protect and provide and so forth. But uh, that's tough. So I like the law they have down in Florida now. Everybody can have a gun and you can shoot somebody you think coming in your house and take something or do something, and uh, I think that's, uh, that's a good law. That's a good law. That ought to make somebody think twice before they break into somebody's house. Look what he says here. In verse 14, he says, If ye be reproached, for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. So they may turn against you for something you say or do that's right. And you may be made ashamed. But you see, God is glorified because of what you did. God says that is a way of you showing other people you trust God. See, somebody does me wrong here, 
and I don't do them wrong back. I don't render evil for evil because I believe that if I don't, and I just go ahead and do what God says do, I'm going to commit God's judgment upon that person, therefore I don't have to. And I'm going to trust the Lord. God says, I am going to have praise, honor, and glory. One day, it's coming, it will happen, and then I will have this exceeding joy. Now, if you believe the Word of God, then you can do that. If you don't believe the Word of God, you will not do that. So instead of suffering the wrong, you're going to sin by trying to make it right. So it's a choice. But if you sin against God or sin against people, then God's going to have to chasten you. This is where the chastening comes from. Look now in verse 15. But let none of you suffer. None of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. If you want to talk about suffering, just get your nose into other people's matters, and I guarantee you, you won't be long before you'll be suffering, because somebody's going to paste you right in the nose and say, keep your nose out of my business. Have you ever had somebody tell you that? I remember one time I went to deal with a man, and he told me, he says, look, preacher, mind your own business and keep your nose out of mine. <laughs> I says, my business is putting my nose into your business, and I will too. I was a little cocky back then. It was probably 25 years ago. And I, um, I believe that my responsibility is to be about the affairs of the Lord, and I'm supposed to preach the book, live it, rebuke, you name it, and I'd do it. And I, had, I remember one day a, a kid came to ranch. A kid came had long hair. And... Back then, there was a lot of hippies, a lot of hippies. They had a, all of them had long hair. Anyway, this here one hippie, he got his purse, and he was walking down the street. He saw a bunch of guys, Georgia rednecks, down there on the corner. He walked up, and he says, Hi, how y'all doing? He said, We're killing all the sissies. Is that right? <laughs> That's the true meaning of repentance. He changed his mind. But this here one hippie, he know he was kind of lost, just couldn't find himself. Dad couldn't get him to get a haircut, wouldn't get him to take a bath. He liked this one girl, and so he wound up taking a bath and cutting his hair, and there he was, found himself. But some people, they came out to ranch, and a lot of them had long hair, and so once in a while, and the guys had long hair, and the girls had short skirts, so I, I wish that the girls had the long skirts and the guys had the short hair. But they were kind of getting it mixed up back then. They, they were all kind of messed up. And I was answering questions. I opened it up. And this here one kid, he, he raised it. He said, what do you think about long hair? I said, I don't care if you have long hair. Three feet long from under your armpits. He said, don't matter to me. I said, but God says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Now, if you don't care what God says, it don't matter to me. And I left it at that, because he asked kind of smart, and I answered him that way. Anyway, I thought everything was over with. <laughs> Finished the ranch meeting, had some kids, trust the Lord. Well, I went home, went to bed. I, it must have been 11 o'clock at night or so. I got a phone call. This man on the phone, he says, Are you Yankee? I said, Yes, sir. He says, I'm going to kill you just as soon as I can get my hands on you. I said, Sir, who is this? 
He says, you never mind who this is. But when I get a hold of you, you're mine. I says, what's, what, what's the problem? He said, my son came to your youth meeting tonight, and you called him a sissy. I said, sir, I don't remember calling anybody a sissy. You told him that he ought to get his hair cut, and it was a shame for him to have long hair. I said, sir, I, I, I didn't say it was a shame for him to have long hair. I said, God said it was a shame for him to have long hair. Well, that made him mad. <laughs> well, that's my son, and you're not talking about my son like that in a meeting. Putting him down. I, I didn't do anything. He asked a question. I, I thought he wanted an honest answer. I thought he wanted an answer from the Bible. I showed him the verse that said it. Anyway, he says, I'm going to kill you. No, I, 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 was, I didn't want to die. So anyway, I got Joe Potter. I said, Joe, let's, I got to go see somebody. He said, where are we going? I says, we're going to see a guy who threatened my life. <laughs> He's like, Leon, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. <laughs> I said, come on, let's go. I said, I mean, if, if the guy's going to kill me, I just soon get it over with. You know, I don't like to live because all that time is suffering. I'd be suffering mental anguish. I don't know when he's going to come and see me. Let's just go see him. So anyway, he got in a vehicle. We ran, went down the road, and Pop pulled into. I knew where he lived, but he wasn't there. Kind of glad. <laughs> His truck wasn't there. Anyway, I pulled in and I got out and walked up to the door. And his wife, she came to the door and she said, oh, oh, my stars, get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> I says, ma'am, what's the problem? She says, he's going to kill you. My husband says you, he's going to kill you. I says, ma'am, I says, he ain't going to kill me. Yes, he is. He has threatened your life. He's going to kill you. And Joe Potter was already starting back to the car. <laughs> Come back, Joe, we ain't going nowhere. I says, where's he at? She said, well, he's not here. He went down the road. But he'll be back any minute. I said, good, we'll come in and wait for him. Is it all right if we come in and wait for him? <laughs> she didn't want me in that house. Anyway, we walked in. Sat down at the table. And it didn't take five minutes. I heard a truck come flying. You could hear the rocks flying. This truck was wheeling around the, the house because the, they had to come around the house toward the back door, you know. And I'm talking about that truck was a spinning sideways. And he slammed on the brakes and just, I mean, and he got out, slammed that door, and he come running through the door. And my and his wife said, oh, my God, oh, my God, he's going to kill him, he's going to kill him. And uh, anyway, you can tell I didn't die. But uh, he came into that room, and he slammed that door open, and he looked, and oh, where is he, where is he? <laughs> he knew my car. And Joe Potter was just turned white as a sheet. I was kind of white myself. And uh, I knew I was going to heaven when I died, but I wasn't homesick at the moment. 